In this episode of Book Sandwiched In, we have an excerpt of the comments by Knox County Mayor Tim Burchett about the book "I Heard You Paint Houses: Frank the Irishman, Sheeran, and the Inside Story of the Mafia, the Teamsters, and the Last Ride of Jimmy Hoffa" by Charles Brand. Thank you all for being here. Hoffa is listed in the New Sentinel for the first time in 1946, and interestingly enough. That was when Baptist Hospital had their groundbreaking. I was born there, so that was.、Uh, there's still not a historical marker there. I'd appreciate somebody taking care of that.、Um, and the disappearance, of course, was above the fold, August 1st, 1975. And I believe it had happened actually two days prior. And for the record, I would have been in、um, in the fifth grade in 1975. Of course, Hoffa is a household name. He's the head of the most powerful union in America. And Roy, how many people did he control at one time? Two point six million people. Jimmy Hoffa could shut this country down. You know, in the movies, they do a lot to make it interesting. But there's one quote in there I could pretty much hear Jimmy Hoffa saying. And some guy said, "Mister, you, you could be president of the United States." And he said, "President, hell, I want to be head of the Teamsters." I mean, because that was power. That was real power. Interesting thing about Jimmy is, is James R. Hoffa. Does anybody know what the R stands for? Riddle. Fourth cousin, right here. This is Jimmy Hoffa's fourth cousin. So he says. I can't verify it, so I'm just going to go with this. <laughs> But、uh, Riddle. Jimmy Hoffa was a riddle. His life is a riddle. There's a guy whose murders are attributed to him. A lot of awful things. But what you don't know about Jimmy Hoffa, he lived a very modest life. He mowed his own yard. There's never, ever, in all the illegal wiretaps that the Kennedys did on, there's never been anything of impropriety with his wife. There's just nothing there. He he wasn't a drinker. He actually even told Teamsters when they'd go out in the field, he didn't want them smelling them alcohol. You're representing the Teamsters. What you do on your own time is what you do on your own time. And、um, his、uh, his son, I've got an autographed picture of his over there. Roy got that for me. It sits in my office. His son is head of the Teamsters, but his daughter was a federal judge. And interestingly enough, between the two of them, they still can't get all the files released on the disappearance of their father, which tells me that there's a lot more to this than than meets the eye. Of course, it's been documented that he worked with the mop, <coughs> Murphy, to further the interests of the Teamsters. But it, his heart was the working people, regardless of of all the other. He he represented the working people. And you know, Fitzsimmons, who took over while he was in prison, he spent more time on the golf course than he did in the in the working for the working man. In my opinion, he was owned by the mob. Hoffa loaned money; they had a partnership. And to my knowledge, there was、um, they never could see where that actually cost the Teamsters anything. Apparently, he had a pretty good interest rate on that money, and and you know, and all the skimming. That's I'll leave that up to the the mobsters in in Las Vegas and Hollywood. He met. Sheeran through a mobster named Russell Buffalino, and he was a、uh, godfather. I believe he controlled pretty much the eastern seaboard. I believe of yeah, New York. He's out of New York area. Now New York was the polished part of the mob. You hear about Jersey on the Sopranos, and they were the rough guys. And Sheeran was an Irishman. Oddly enough, out of all the mobsters that were listed in the country that they were after, Sheeran was the only non-Italian. When he met him. I mean, he was with Buffalino, and he put him on the phone. And the first thing that Hoffa said to him was, "I heard you paint houses." And Sheeran was kind of nervous because, you know, you're talking to Hoffa. It's like 
us talking to the president or something, you know, because of the just the rock star image that Hoffa had among the working folks. And he said, yeah, and I, and I make furniture too, which builds coffins. He does it, and that was the complete deal. This was all pre-DNA. I've read reports where they've gone to that house, and when the author went to that house where it supposedly happened, he, you know, he had questions about, you know, if this really did happen or whatever. And he goes in the house, and the owners let him look through it. And there was supposed to be a back entrance where they, they took the body out, because obviously they're not going to pull a body out in the front yard in the middle of broad daylight. Well, he, he's kind of scratching his head, and he thought, well, this is, well, he lied. And the guy said, what are you looking for? And he said, well, I thought there might be a door. Oh, there was a door there. He said, I covered it over for the carport. <clears throat> they've done the, um, what's the test called, Michael, where they get the luminol, and they found actual blood splatters where he said it happened. So um, that's all interesting stuff. About Sheeran, he was an interesting guy. He had a tough childhood, as you can imagine. My dad was in the Corps with a lot of guys just like this. He boxed, and his dad used to get a neighborhood fight going and let his kid get into a fight and bet with other neighbors over if his kid could beat your kid up. And um, he was in the Army, and um, he was in one area, I believe it was Italy, and I, I know a little bit about the history of it because it is written in military history of not the way you fight a war. And Americans were pinned down over 100 days of just aerial bombardment. And uh, if, the, if the shells don't kill you, the shell shock will. <clears throat> My dad said that's the most that's the most horrific thing you can be under. But he was there over 100 days under that. And um, he'd had a long tour, of course, in Europe. He went to Philadelphia after the war. He had some legitimate jobs along the way, but he was always scamming. He would deliver hams, and, and he had a deal worked out with the guy. It was the butcher, and they would he would pull hams off and sell them for cash along the way. And when he'd get there with his truck, you know, there'd be a couple light, and they never did know it, and they could never pin it on him. And he ended up losing his job because of, of somebody squealed on him, I believe. Anyway, as I said, Buffalino introduced him to Hoff over the phone. Sheeran, of course, worked his way up in the Teamsters. He did hits for Buffalino, and he was muscle and all that. And he was, he was a trusted man, of, a friend of Hoffa's. And you heard that uh, Hoffa, when he got out of prison, I mean, he didn't trust anybody, and he shouldn't have. And what he was trying to do, of course, was get control back of the Teamsters. And they cut a deal, which he didn't realize until he got out, that um, Fitzsimmons, who took over the Teamsters, and Hoffa was sort of his pick man. But then Fitzsimmons just went overboard with the mob, and he was weak and couldn't tell him no. And then uh, when he got out, you know, Nixon offered him a pardon. And then, of course, the Teamsters ended up endorsing Nixon. And it just, you know, it, you, can, you can draw it all in. It's interesting how this guy played a part in, in our world history that we really didn't, I didn't get at West Hills Elementary School. Of course, Bobby Kennedy was JFK's attorney general, and everybody knows Hoffa hated the Kennedys. Bobby's primary goal the whole time was to get Hoffa convicted. It was a personal thing with Kennedy's. Hoffa, of course, wanted JFK dead and uh, because he thought that'd get Bobby out of the AG's office. And there's actually some reference to Sheeran delivering guns, three guns. He knew Jack Ruby, and there's some serious tie-ins, and it, and it historically fits. And you wonder, why was he doing a deathbed confession? He had nothing to gain from it other than to clear his conscience. He was a Catholic. They brought the priests in. For his confession, I'm sure that priest's eyes lit up pretty big uh, when he started, you know, over 20 hits. So, you know, he lost his family. He had a daughter that never would even speak to him again.
in. He, he really went through a whole lot, and there's really no other reason for him to tell this story than to clear his conscience. Uh, there's some interesting lines in there, and, and they fit in, and my mind just went through the Rolodex of American folks that have been killed. The mob hit of JFK, it was a favor to Hoffa. He talked about you always have a patsy. And, and he talked about that early on, how they would, they would get some, I think they called them lunatic, nuts and, and to go kill somebody, and then that person would end up dead before they, they left the sidewalk. There would usually be a, a double hit kind of thing, or they would die in a mysterious explosion or something down the road. And he talked about how that they would, um, when they do a hit, it wasn't just some random deal and they just, oh, he's going to be coming down the road, let's shoot him. They would have a, a car ready, take the guy away, and then they'd have another car there that would pull out and block traffic in case the police were. And he would use a twenty-two caliber because it was loud enough but not too loud. You know, there was an honor among thieves back then. They didn't want any civilians to get hurt. It'd be loud enough, but it wouldn't be too loud to where if a police officer was two blocks away, he'd hear it. With a, like a three you you'd think they'd want to make a big big explosion, but they didn't. They just they wanted to kill somebody and make it quick, and then they'd get on with it. He would never use a gun that had been used before. He would always use a clean gun, and that, that makes a lot of sense if you know anything about firearms and tracing them and everything. There's a Hoffa, Tennessee connection. In Nashville in 1962, he was here for a minor racketeering charge. I'm not sure how you minor that, but there was a he tampered, supposedly, uh, tampered with a jury, in it, but it was acquitted due to a hung jury. I believe they had one person. He was in late, later indicted for jury tampering, of course, on that. And then in Chattanooga, uh, they moved the, the trial from Nashville in 1964. He was convicted, of course, and sent to prison after many delays. And there's an interesting, um, there's two different pictures of where he's shaking hands with the guards as he's going in. They don't show it much, but Jimmy Hoffa's walking into the prison and I believe there's a black guard and a white guard. And I thought, you know, because I'm pretty sure um, prison guards are organized labor. But he was treated pretty bad in prison. He, um, he was not a young man when he went in, and that, that'll age a man. He was also, of course, sentenced to prison on racketeering charges in Chicago. While in prison, he served for a short while as the Teamster president. Then he later resigned. Of course, Nixon pardoned him, and uh, Hoffa wanted to be head of the Teamsters again. He started to threaten to expose mob connections to the Teamsters. And if people think, well, he was the one who did it, but the reality was he had some pretty good fences up with his mob connections with Vegas, and the Teamsters actually flourished under that plan. And, uh, um, but under Fitzsimmons, they didn't make payments, and they just took the money because Fitzsimmons might have been gutless, in my opinion, compared to Hoffa. He's probably a pretty tough guy, but Hoffa was – there's no comparison of course, he started threatening the mob, and then he was killed. And Buffalino was the one who told Sheeran to kill him. It was a typical mob hit, two to the back of the head, close range. It's highly orchestrated. It was in Detroit. When he got out of prison, as I said, he was a very nervous man, obviously, because he's afraid, you know, turn a car on, somebody blow you up. I mean, the guy mowed his own yard. It's kind of humorous. There's pictures of him. kind of reminds me of my dad at the beach with his flip-flops on because he was wearing short pants and black socks and his wingtips and he's mowing his front yard you know he'd be pretty easy to pop if they wanted to he got into the car with Sharon and um and Roy helped me out the stepson who I'm not fond of Chucky O'Brien was probably driving the car Chucky O'Brien Roy doesn't 
he didn't tell me this, but I think Chucky O'Brien came to town and he did not stay at a, at a union hotel. And that created quite, and that tells you, Chucky O'Brien was sort of an adopted, sort of like uh, Hoffa's stepson. But in my opinion, I think he probably had something, he was in on it. I'm not a fan of his. He, of course, he's the foster son driving the car. Sally Bug, he was right hand to uh, Hoffa's enemy, Tony Pro, who was Tony Pro Panzano. He's up there giving an interview by his pool without his shirt on. I was thinking I ought to do that sometime, but uh, <laughs> I could do it now. I'm term limited. It wouldn't cost me the next election, but... Uh, my buddy Chris Haggerty, my best friend over there, he's, he'd tell me how saggy I looked the other day when I was out in the yard. And I was like, hey, dude, you're old as I am. I don't want to hear that stuff. Um, and then Frank Sheeran, of course, he was the only one, only person probably Hoffa trusted and all that. By 1975, he's probably down to a few, very few people. Steve and Tom Andretta, they were Buffalino's guys. They were in the house. Sheeran said that he walked in and he saw them at the end of the hall. Hoffa walked into the house. He realized there wasn't anything in there. He immediately turns to the door. Sharon pulls out, I believe it was, it was a 38, wasn't it? 38 or yeah, 38 or 32. Put it to the back of his head. And, 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 and he said that he bumped into him. He thought Hoffa probably saw his gun, but thought he was there to defend him. You know, the scene in, um, what is that, Goodfellas? When um, um, the guy walks into the house and he goes, oh, no. And they, Pops him in the back of the head, and he falls down on the linoleum. And um, a little short guy, what's his name in that movie? Um, Joe, Pesci. Joe Pesci. Yeah, that was, I believe, a scene taken from this uh, because he walked in and realized there wasn't a meeting going on. Hoffa went there to meet with them. Oddly enough, he'd called his wife an hour before and said, yeah, I'm sitting here waiting for him at that restaurant, the Fox or whatever. And um, probably in a le- everybody's in their leisure suits, as you can imagine, 1975. And he told his wife he's waiting on them. And oddly enough, both of those guys had crazy alibis. I mean, this guy was like, he was at a bar. One of them said, I think Tony Pro said, hey, what time is it? Said it real loud to everybody. And does anybody know what time it is? So, it, you know, it's 3 o'clock. So everybody said, yeah, he asked me at 3 o'clock what time I was. And both of them had, had airtight alibis. But the two cleaners, oddly enough, one of them's dead and the other one's alive. And the cleaner, of course, cleans up the blood. Of course, they changed the meeting in the restaurant to the house. I guess that's where Sheeran saw him, and he got in the car with him and um, Chucky O'Brien. And, of course, Sheeran escorted him in the house. He shot him in the vestibule. He left. He saw the two guys there, and, he, and Sheeran got out because he figured, you know, the old thing about him getting shot too. And he, it's a weird – if you watch any of the tapes, there's hours of tapes of these interviews, and he just had an incredible respect for Hoffa. And he said, you know, I, if somebody had to do it, I, I wanted it. You know, it needed to be me, and he realized if he didn't do it, he'd be dead just like Hoffa, as they said, and gone to Australia. Of course, it, it sort of reminds me of O.J. They didn't get him for the first crime, but they got him for another one, and they loaded it up. And all these guys, they all went to jail for long sentences for different things. You know, I guess you turn over a rock, you're going to figure this stuff out. And then, uh, and oddly enough, Roy and I were talking about it earlier. All these files, they, they just won't turn them loose. And uh, that tells me that there's a lot more to what's going on. It uh, reminds me a little bit of some of the JFK stuff. It's all redacted and Martin Luther King and a lot of things that have happened in our history of ways we're led to believe that these things happen. Of course, um, they took Sharon. He went to jail, went to prison in 80, 81, I believe. And he got out of prison in 91 on a medical hardship. And he died December 14th, 2003. It was the same day the U.S. soldiers captured Saddam Hussein, oddly enough. But... 
it is an incredibly interesting book, and you know, I don't care what you've been told about American history. You know, if you weren't there, you, you can't verify it. And this is, this is one of those things, and I would encourage you to read the book. It is very insightful into the mob, into the Teamsters. You know, I talk a lot about Hoffa. The main thing is about Sheeran and just his life, and he loses his so-called innocence when he went and um, joined the circus, of all things. You know, and he went overseas and talk about this honor among thieves. I mean, he, obviously these people are dirtbags for what they did, but, you know, they still had families. He talked about how he would make a big score, and then he'd go see his ex-wife to take care of the kids on different issues and things and um, financially. And so I would encourage you all to read this book. I've got my teamster here, Roy Cruz, lifelong teamster, and he's been a friend of the Burchetts for a long, long time. How many teamsters would you 1. say? 1.6 million. 1.6 million in the country now. So they're, they're still fairly strong. I mean, Hoffa's first strike, oddly enough, was, I believe, in 1923, he worked at a Kroger's. And uh, he and actually Fitzsimmons were the, what were they, Roy? Well, they were dock men, but they were stewards. Yeah, stewards in the union, in the leadership. And uh, he met his wife. Um, she was like a... Laundry workers. And that's where he met his wife. His, I mean, you know, they were married forever. I mean, their whole life, I mean, they were married over 50 years, I think, you know, and they finally, they've declared Hoffa dead. I honestly believe this is what's happened. The guy had a motive. He had the opportunity. He names names and dates, and you just put it all together, and it's a very interesting book. All right. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to Book Sandwiched In, a lunchtime book discussion series sponsored by Knox County Public Library in Knoxville, Tennessee. To find other podcasts, please visit our website at knoxlib.org.